0: You're listening to Travaux, The Current State. I'm your host, Kayleen Kosla, and today I'll be speaking with Travaux contributor, Ishvaku Vashishta. This week, we'll be discussing the complex background that gave rise to the recent February coup in Myanmar, and the role that international law can play in ending and providing redress for violent retaliation against the Rohingya. Ishvaku. Can you begin by giving us some historical background on the situation in Myanmar?
1: Myanmar has struggled with widespread poverty, civil war, military rule, and democracy since its independence from British colonial rule in 1948. What was then known as Union of Burma initially started as a parliamentary democracy that was ultimately short-lived. In 1962, General Une Win led a military coup and went on to hold power for the next 26 years. Although Win resigned as chairman of his party in 1988 amidst civil strife prompted by economic distress and widespread protests, he remained active behind the scenes as another military junta took power. In 2007, the so-called Saffron Revolution, widespread anti-government protests named after the saffron-colored robes worn by the participating Buddhist monks, catalyzed a shift in Myanmar's political system. The military junta pushed forward a new constitution in 2008, which allowed the military to retain a substantial amount of political and economic power. In 2011, the military junta dissolved. The dissolution gave way to a military-installed transitional government. The country's longtime opposition party, the National League for Democracy, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, won majorities in both chambers of parliament in 2015. And some foreign governments and companies that had previously shunned Myanmar began developing economic and diplomatic ties with it. But the Myanmar military has continued to dominate many aspects of domestic affairs, retaining a substantial amount of economic and political control. Military and civilian leaders, including Suu Kyi, have also faced international condemnation for ongoing human rights abuses against Rohingya Muslims in the western state of Rakhine, which United Nations reports said were committed with. genocidal intent, unquote. In February, the military staged a coup and officially retook control, shattering the progress Myanmar had made towards democracy over the last decade.
0: Who are the Rohingya people, and how do they fit into all of this?
1: The Rohingya are an ethnic Muslim minority. Before 2017, the majority of the estimated 1 million Rohingya in Myanmar resided in Rakhine State, situated on the western coast. They differ from Myanmar's dominant Buddhist groups ethnically, linguistically, and religiously. Discrimination against Rohingya isn't a novel occurrence. Myanmar's discriminatory policies towards Rohingya since the 1970s have compelled hundreds of thousands of Muslim Rohingya to flee their homes in the predominantly Buddhist country. Most have crossed by land into Bangladesh, while others have taken to the sea to reach Indonesia, Malaysia, and Thailand. However, in twenty seventeen, Myanmar security forces launched a brutal campaign of what the UN called quote, persecution, discrimination, and violent repression. Unquote. This violence triggered an exodus of Rohingya as Myanmar's security forces claimed they were carrying out a campaign to reinstate stability in the country's western region. The nearly four-year campaign against the Rohingya people prompted a global response, an important precursor to recently escalating international pressures to end continued military repression.
0: What is the legal status of the Rohingya people?
1: At the moment, they are effectively stateless. The government refuses to grant the Rohingya citizenship, and as a result, most of the group's members have no legal documentation. Their stateless status leaves Rohingya people easily susceptible to discrimination. For example, stateless persons typically cannot obtain legal documents, do not have access to education, health care, or employment, cannot participate in the political process, and do not enjoy the freedom of movement, making the situation for the Rohingya even more dire.
0: Despite the ongoing persecution of the Rohingya people, democracies seem to be on the rise for Myanmar. Why did the military choose to act now?
1: Well, it was the 2020 election result that ultimately instigated the military coup. There's little dispute that the NLD achieved a massive victory. The military party won just 33 of the 476 available seats while the NLD won 396. Military leaders alleged voter fraud. While Human Rights Watch has acknowledged that the election certainly had flaws, particularly regarding the disenfranchisement of the Rohingya, it was clear that the NLD had a landslide victory. After Myanmar's election commission rejected the military's claims, it staged a coup in February. The military detained and charged Suu Kyi placed lawmakers from the NLD and other parties under house arrest, and announced that Senior General Min Ong Hlaing would take charge of Myanmar during a year-long state of emergency. Myanmar's election commission said elections will be held once the state of emergency ends, but experts worry that the military could retain power indefinitely.
0: How have the people of Myanmar responded?
1: In the aftermath of the coup, Myanmar has seen its largest protests since the Saffron Revolution, with tens of thousands of people coming together to call for democracy, along with the release of Suu Kyi and others that have been detained. However, the backlash from the military has been brutally repressive. Tom Andrews, special rapporteur on the situation of human rights in Myanmar, has outlined the repressive response from the military. First and foremost, he noted the lethal force that has been used against protesters. The military has fired water cannons into large crowds and has gone as far as shooting peaceful, unarmed protesters without any provocation. Thus far, the military has killed more than 60 protesters and counting. Tragically, more than half of the protesters that have been killed were under the age of 25. Andrews noted the presence of video evidence Of quote, soldiers and police systematically moving through neighborhoods and firing indiscriminately into people's homes, unquote. This use of lethal force against peaceful demonstrators is simply unjustifiable under international human rights norms. Andrews also notes the rise in arbitrary detentions, not just of political leaders, but also of community and civil society leaders. Based on currently available information, Since announcing the coup, the junta has detained 220 government officials and members of civil society. These actions violate the basic right to be free from arbitrary arrest and detention. The military has also launched an onslaught on the media. Police have beaten and harassed journalists, causing some to flee into hiding. The junta is also instituting regulations that systematically abrogate the rights of freedom of expression, access to information, and privacy. Public gatherings of five or more have been banned in townships across the country. A curfew from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. has been imposed. Access to the Internet and social media sites has also been cut off. And what Andrews calls a, quote, new draconian cybersecurity law to assure that Myanmar is truly a police state, unquote has been put into place.
0: Does international law have the capacity to halt or at least hold someone responsible for the violence?
1: The answer to that question is nuanced and complex. But in short, it seems that it's largely dependent on the will of the international community. In this regard, it's helpful to consider the decision that the International Court of Justice issued on January 23rd 2020, in the case of the Gambia versus Myanmar as a backdrop. In that case, the ICJ unanimously ordered Myanmar to prevent further genocidal acts and to also preserve any evidence of wrongdoing under the Genocide Convention. While an ICJ order is a significant decision in international law, its significance is still constrained by the political will of the international community. Now, in regards to calls on the United Nations to respond to the coup, Mr. Tom Andrews has called on the Human Rights Commission to urge the United Nations Security Council to, quote, consider all of the options it has previously used to deal with gross human rights violations, unquote, including sanctions, arms embargoes, and travel bans. He has also called for judicial action at the International Criminal Court or ad hoc tribunals. The United States has taken it upon itself to respond unilaterally. The U.S. Commerce Department is imposing trade sanctions on Myanmar's Ministry of Defense and Home Affairs and has also targeted the two conglomerates associated with the junta, Myanmar Economic Corporation and Myanmar Economic Holdings Limited. The European Union is also preparing to widen its sanctions on Myanmar's armed forces to target businesses a run in response to the coup. Ultimately, though, the challenge to a truly international response to the coup is largely a consequence of China's obstruction as a member of the permanent United Nations Security Council. China, which has close ties with Myanmar, actually blocked the United Nations Security Council last month from issuing a statement condemning the coup. The draft that was submitted last month was written by the United Kingdom's delegation to the United Nations, and it called the events a coup and included language that warned Myanmar's rulers of the potential for forthcoming measures. However, according to diplomats involved in the negotiations, China, amongst other countries, was one of the nations that wanted that language removed. So that statement was adopted as a presidential statement, and unlike a UN resolution, it is non-binding. China's obstruction on the Security Council and refusal to hold the military regime in Myanmar accountable is in part to blame for why there hasn't been a proposal for a Security Council resolution to impose multilateral sanctions on Myanmar's junta. That being said, the situation is continuing to unfold. On Wednesday, the Security Council actually reached a rare consensus when it adopted a statement condemning, quote, the violence against peaceful protesters, including against women, youth, and children, unquote. This was a significant step forward in terms of involving China and Russia's support. However, it still fell short of calling the events a coup and threatening sanctions.
0: Why is China hesitant to support sanctions? Has China traditionally aligned itself with the military in Myanmar?
1: Well, first it should be noted that China has been Myanmar's largest trading partner as well as a close diplomatic ally in recent years. China's success in carving out a strong economic relationship with Myanmar is in part due to its strategy to cultivate allies from across the country's political system, including the military, the NLD, and business groups. In January, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi visited Myanmar and met with Suu Kyi to sign bilateral agreements for a flagship project, the China-Myanmar Economic Corridor. This corridor stretches from China's Yunnan province to Myanmar's coast on the Indian Ocean and is one part of China's massive Belt and Road Initiative and is valued at $100 billion. So China clearly has a strategic interest in Myanmar and the maintenance of stability. However, the current crisis in Myanmar may also provide an opportunity for China. Over the course of the Obama and Trump administrations, there had been strengthening ties between the US and Myanmar. But things have changed with the recent sanctions the US has imposed on Myanmar. And this is precisely why the 2021 coup could cause Myanmar to move closer to China, as other countries distance themselves from Myanmar in response to the coup, leaving China with the monopoly of influence. It is this strategic interest that China has. That compels China to try its best not to upset any parties in Myanmar, which then carries legal implications. Unfortunately, China's veto power could continue to hinder any substantial action going forward, including the possibility of imposing multilateral sanctions on Myanmar. This problem is at the very heart of international law. There is great difficulty in enforcing international law against states that have no desire to comply and have powerful allies, particularly ones like China, which has veto power as a permanent member of the Security Council, and can single-handedly prevent any binding sanctions.
0: Thank you for listening. Travaux is brought to you by Veronica Bognat, and the members of the online team at the Berkeley Journal of International Law. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please write to us at berkeley.travoe at gmail.com. While we're committed to bringing you international and comparative law news and insights, Our podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only. The information presented is not legal advice and may not be current.